Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm really excited to be here, sort of, virtually. We're both someplace with Dua Lipa, who has one of the best albums of the year, Future Nostalgia, which has ended up being so perfect for right now in a really unexpected way. And I also have to say she is the new queen of work-from-home pop stars. There's no doubt about it. You've earned that title. You may never give it away. Uh, so congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Thank you so much. The, the stay at home. Uh, what did you say? The stay at home queen? <laughs> well, I'm very good at staying at home. Pop star. The queen of work from home pop star. Okay. That's hilarious. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll gladly take on my new title. I appreciate it. <laughs> it is this weird thing where a lot of the promo you've been doing and you have been able to do a lot of it takes on this sort of meta quality where you're talking about how strange it is that this is the way you're doing the promo. But it is really interesting and, and unexpected that this is what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been interesting to really have an album rollout like this. I never thought that anything like this would happen or that I would be promoting it in this way. But it's interesting to see how sometimes you could have a plan and it go all out the window and it still be okay, you know? Still, um, you know, you just kind of roll with the punches and you, I guess, adapt to certain circumstances and try and make the most of it you know we're all at home together and um, I think the important thing is just trying to get over this in in whatever way you can you know every person individually whatever makes it easier for you and and for me it's been quite good you know a lot of my days have been filled I'm still you know working a little bit remotely and trying to come up with creative ideas on tv performances and stuff like that so it's been challenging, but it's been fun and a massive learning curve. Well, yeah, not only have you never done this before, literally no one in the history of human civilization <laughs> yeah. has tried to promote a big pop album from, <laughs> entirely from home. So uh, no one could blame you for uh, taking a while to adapt. It's wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah. to get to your level, a lot of people, and this may or may not be true for you, a lot of people have to have kind of a thing for control and getting things in order and that kind of thing. Is that true for you? And is that something to a certain extent you've had to let go during this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, when I did my first record, everything just kind of happened so fast. And I felt like I didn't really have time to organize anything. I was like rehearsing on the road. Like the first few nights of tour would always be the nights where I would like figure out what my tour list would be, like what I was going to perform, how I was going to you know, do stuff. I, everything I was learning and I was like, okay, second album, I'm going to have everything really organized. I'm going <laughs> to finish my record and then think about the visuals so I can create like a whole world around it. And, you know, like I said, having a plan and feeling like you have this like organized mess almost and it just, it disappears. But um, yeah, like I said, unprepared, but always ready. <laughs> totally. And if, if there hadn't been something of a leak would this have ever happened or do you think you would have held it? Yeah, I was going to put it out April 3rd anyway. Um, I was toying with the idea of moving it later, but then I decided that I wanted to put it out on April 3rd because this album, like I made it to kind of get away from any pressures or opinions of other people or whatever was going on outside. And I was like, okay, maybe I just have to put it out now, you know? And then the leak happened and it just moved it to a week earlier. So we were already ready and prepared to just go for it. And I guess the the leak kind of just, just pushed it forward a bit, a bit sooner, but it didn't really change our plan. So we were able to kind of carry on as normal, really. 
I think you saw something that we all got to see when we heard it, which is that, as everyone keeps saying, it's weirdly appropriate for now in that it's such an escape. It's so fun. It's so light on his feet. And it's kind of what we've talked a lot on on the show and in general and in real life, just like what are people listening to to kind of escape from now. And yeah, you can listen to really maudlin acoustic music or you can listen to a super fun dance pop album, which is what you made. (laughs) Thank you. I guess that was kind of the the thing that I was uh, maybe the most conflicted about when thinking about whether I wanted to release it because it being such like an upbeat, high tempo, you know, an album that you would just want to dance to, I wasn't sure if it was really the time to put it out to celebrate, I guess, during a time of so much suffering. And that was where my conflict was really coming from, that I just, you know, I, I didn't know if anyone would really want to hear it and then I just kind of I guess I just stuck to my guns and hoped for the best and I'm happy that it you know it gave people some comfort during this time and made fun kitchen dance parties and you know took people away from from what's happening outside because you know it is quite unsettling you know everything that's going on and for me music serves as an escape and to get away from stuff you know and so I'm really happy to have been a part of some people's escape during this time. I think the fear could have been just like, how tone deaf to release this fun album when everyone's suffering. Like, that's the kind of nightmare, right? It's like, yeah. it's like how dare she? I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, it, it, it could have gone either way, but I'm happy it obviously was the latter. I, I do, like, believe in fate, and I feel like every, everything just kind of happening now, maybe it was just meant to be this way. Now, I think at one point I read that you were kind of walking through Las Vegas, and the words like sort of future nostalgia came to you and that was kind of a crux for starting this album? Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was there doing some promo for, for a radio station and I kind of realized that I'd never really walked around Las Vegas ever because I, I'd kind of just gone, uh, done work or did a show or whatever and it was everything was really fast and I had some time and I, I, I had started writing for the record, but I was still touring and performing, and I hadn't quite like honed in exactly where I wanted to go with this next project. And I knew I wanted it to touch on my childhood influences and you know the nostalgia that I, I felt when my parents listened to music from Jamiroquai and Maloko and Blondie and the memories, the happy memories that I had with that. And I wanted to bring back those memories and that energy into the record and I just I knew I wanted it to be cohesive and have a theme running through it and when I was just like on a walk I was like oh what about you know future nostalgia but I kind of laughed at myself to begin with because I thought it was too on the nose and thought it was just a bit (laughs) obvious but I I thought it also just sounded cool and I wanted to you know work and, and, and embellish on that that you know it's the merging of two worlds of two different sounds or something that's current but something that also reminds me of like uh, really fun times and the energy that comes from those artists and that music I wanted to to bring it back and it was also something I felt like I wasn't really hearing on the radio at the time the experience of walking in Vegas is wild I remember what I think of is like one time I'd done an interview there and then I, I like took myself to a steakhouse and got kind of buzzed on wine and then walked through all that like the tourists and like the flashing lights and the thing and it's just it is it's it's like kind of a sensory overwhelm yeah. and it, and there is something a little like crazy and futuristic about it especially if you're not totally sober I don't know what you're experiencing yeah no it, it's yeah. it's definitely an overwhelming place for sure I think when you walk down the the strip uh which is where I was on I mean 
but but then there's also like a little bit of like a almost rat pack vibe to it that I feel like looms the the city so you know it could have just been a subconscious thing but that was where it happened and I literally I I text my manager and I was like okay I think I have the name but don't tell anyone because it was like a baby name when you don't want anyone to to hear it um, until you're ready to put it out and uh, it was like okay now I'm gonna now I'm gonna work backwards from this and I think pretty early on I don't know if it came before or after the title revelation but you had um specifically Prince's electric chair yeah. was a song that was kind of a big touchstone for you. What, how did, when, when and how did that come in? And that's such a cool choice. It's, a, it's from the Batman soundtrack, if people don't know it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I think I kind of just wanted to dive in into songs that, you know, I would know if I, if I heard, because my parents would play it around the house, but the ones that I didn't really have the knowledge about. So I, I feel like I just spent some time digging in and just learning about, you know, songs and re-listening, like, some of the outcast tracks and you know just kind of diving into so many different artists that I feel like I, I knew a lot of them from you know music that my parents like listened to but I didn't really know all the background to it and I felt like I hadn't listened to, to them in a while and I wanted to see if they gave me the same feeling and it was um you know I, I just love Prince's musicality really and you know everything that he created was very much him and his you know authentic kind of touch that when you would of course his voice stands out so much but it was more just kind of touching on memories and and trying to learn the backstory to it and then I have to admit I don't think I'd ever heard of Maloko until I saw that you were mentioning it uh and even and then I was like oh I'm gonna listen to this song and I'm gonna know it and I actually like never somehow totally missed the existence of this group, no and they're way. awesome. Yeah, they're awesome. It's it's <laughs> Rasheem Murphy who who who's the the front lady um, or front man um, of of the of the of the group, and Sing It Back is just a song that if it randomly comes on like at home, everyone at, in my house like would just sing it to each other, and we'd get up and dance, and there would just be like a really fun energy to it, and it was. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely like one of the songs that really inspired this record. Yeah, once I found it, I said, wow, that that really is, it's not like you ripped it off, but it's like the, the energy of it is so on on the record. And I think that that's one of the things that makes it so cohesive is that you had these touchstones and were in such a specific lane as opposed to whatever, which must have been tricky to maintain for that many songs and also to, I think you recorded like 60 songs yeah. to pick the... This, this song, and it's also, this is not like an insanely long album. And I think you said you you didn't want people to skip any tracks, which mm. spoke to like sort of quality, consistency, and also not a two hour long album, like a tight old school album yeah. with real consistency. So but t- tell me about the, the other tracks on the album and how, and w- was that one of the hardest parts to kind of like pull out Honestly, songs? And, to be yeah. quite honest, it was, it was fairly easy because hmm. some of them were just, a bit rubbish and I was just kind of writing in the process and um I was still kind of figuring it out and I was you know um I feel like I just spent time just going okay I really like this let me see if I can get better and if I can try something different and you know that that's just kind of how um it went until I felt like I had like a full body of work that I was like okay this is my top these are my top songs and a lot of the time it was like when I would leave the studio I'd be like okay I really really love that so I would write it down and I would 
make sure that I held like a, a list which essentially came down to like 25 and then got a little bit shorter and there are some songs which I'm keeping for a little while that maybe you guys will hear it soon um <laughs> but I felt like those were like my top 11 tracks that really stood by like the theme of the record and also represented like who I am as a as a person and as an artist and things that you know were very like prominent to me in like my life totally I think other people have asked you about this but it's it's fascinating that there was a now Rogers song and I think he said it was a bit too old school disco you needed the future disco but can, can you tell me a little bit more about that song because I'm, I'm he's awesome and I'm curious yeah about he that. he is he's really awesome it was actually he came into god and this sounds so bad because I really wanted him on the record but um yeah. he came in to do some additional production on a few songs and I think a couple songs I chose not to put on the record um just because I, I felt like they no longer like resonate with me and I didn't feel like I wanted to put them on and one song which he added some bits to just I don't know it just kind of took it in a in a bit too far in like the nostalgia direction and I wanted to include like a bit more going back to like my first record like a few bit more electronic sounds in which then I ended up working with the producer Stuart Price to do some additional production to kind of bring that feeling into a lot of the songs alongside my producer Cos. So they just, essentially everything started quite nostalgic and then they helped me bring the the future elements into it. And, uh, you know, one day I'd love to work with Nile Rogers when if we start something from scratch, you know, I feel like maybe the song was already at a point that, it already had the nostalgia. Right, right. And if he starts doing funk guitar over it, it just becomes right. And I mean, Stuart Price is an awesome choice as well and so appropriate in, in that he's a ray of light and other, and other things. What did you learn from watching him at work? Well, I guess with, with Stuart, it was... For a lot of it, I just let him really do his magic and add onto, you know, songs like Hallucinate, where it's very subtle production bits that just elevated it in a different way that gave it you know and for levitating too and it it just gave it like a a a different kind of richness almost to the songs yeah fair enough and and when you went in to write the title track that's a a lot of weight if you've already decided that this song that doesn't exist is the title track of the (laughs) album so how did that go down because that that, that's the kind of pressure that could result in never having a song you know yeah i mean it wasn't it 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 really it was uh we kind of started the song as just for fun you know i was in the studio with jeff basker and we had just hung out for a couple of days and we were talking about all kinds of stuff, but he really loves architecture and he had all these books in his house and we were like reading through them. And then he goes, what's your t- album going to be called? And I was still kind of like not really telling people, but I was like, okay, I'll tell you if you promise not to tell anyone. And he was like, all right, let's just give it a go. Let's try and do something for future nostalgia. And when we started, like we just wanted it to be like really 90s, a bit, punky in your face like he was Jeff is like some kind of musical magician almost like when he goes into the studio and he plays all his instruments and he brings out all these sounds and I just I kind of just sat back in awe of him like creating this and I just sat down and wrote and wrote and wrote and I was like okay how about this and he was like yeah that's (laughs) that's so fun and we would just kind of sing it in the mic but I'd never done anything that was kind of talky singing 
like in Future Nostalgia. So I was completely trying something new and it was something that, you know, uh, like I'd never done before. And uh, I guess when we finished after it being just so much fun and then my my friend Coffee came and joined in and helped write some parts too, like a, a, a day later or so. And uh, when I left the studio and I listened to the song back, I was like, I just, I kind of love it. Like it's a bit weird and, and fun and I I really love it. And... Yeah, I was like, okay, this is the first track on the record. This is this is future nostalgia. Totally. I wanted to talk about Don't Start Now, which is a huge hit, a great song, has a sick bass line. Tell me about how that song came together. Um, that song, well, I I, I wanted to work again with um, the, the team that I worked on New Rules with. And so we all got together. This is me, Ian Kirkpatrick, Emily Warren, and Caroline Aylin. And um, it, it was just the disco song that I that I needed. And it was just a, a lot of fun to make. And I guess it's, you know, it, it's about getting over a breakup, but also kind of finding yourself at the other end and being happy that you've, like, moved on and found... Uh, you know, found your feet in in the best way possible. And uh, I I wanted it to be the first song that everybody heard because although it was quite different to everything that you've heard before, there was also some similarities in it, maybe thematically. And so, yeah, that was it. And I remember after, like, I did my final vocal, Ian sent it to me and I was at Glastonbury and I had to, like, take a step back from the field and put my headphones in and listen to it. And I was like, oh, my God, I love it. I was so happy. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and Glastonbury is always one of those places where I imagine all my songs to be, like, I think about it, I'm like, okay, if I can sing it at Glastonbury, then uh, it's going on the record. And it was quite funny to have heard a song like Don't Start Now while I was at Glastonbury to get the final version and, uh, yeah, envision it. On, on one of those stages one day. Which could have been this year, but uh, not anymore, I guess, sadly. No, not this year, you know, but I guess everyone's health and safety is, is the most important right now, and I don't think people are ready to hang out in, in big crowds yet. But when the time comes, you know, Glastonbury is always a, a celebration. I think a lot of people, at least in my friendship group, it's like the one festival that people wait, like the whole year, it's like the highlight of the year. It's something that we all look forward to, so... Whenever the time comes and whenever we get to go and, um, you know, whenever I hopefully get to perform these songs on stage, it will, will make it worth it. This sort of mix of electronics and live instruments is emblematic of this album. And as I mentioned, the, the sick bass, which I assume was played by a human being on a bass, but you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, that, was, uh, that was Ian. And it's, you had a smart idea, which was that you kind of wanted to, because there's always in, a lot of times in pop and in hip hop and stuff, it's like there's the version that, someone plays on stage with their band that mm. is kind of like the live version, but it, it has a slightly different feel. Sometimes it's better, actually, which is maybe what you kind of gleamed and jumped on for this album. But it's like there's that version you hear on stage and then there's the version on the album and there's always like a, a gap between them when you rearrange songs for live instrumentation. And, and what you did on this album really smartly is kind of close that gap. And that was pretty conscious, I think. Yeah, it was, it was really conscious because... I don't know, I guess after touring for so long with the first record, I guess I kind of realized that I liked my songs better when I performed them live than when I listened to them. Yeah. And I liked all the instrumentation and I liked that energy and I wanted to encapsulate that energy and, and 
take away from or, or get away from you know the electronic side or how, how it was quite heavily electronic to you know having that organic live instrumentation on the record and including you know new instruments and having strings and you know getting to see all that come to life is is pretty magic and uh that hopefully you know will will also close that gap for me when I get up on stage and perform it live because I want it to have the same energy as when you hear it on the record and when you perform it live it's possible you may have a whole other album done before you you play a concert have you thought about that <laughs> that, that that this might be the yes opportunity and no. to, I, yeah. I guess now now is kind of in my time where I've just been able to kind of sit down and think as to where I want to go next I do feel like I need to get out there and you know, live a little bit and, and perform these songs and really kind of see what I love from, you know, each song and where I want to go next because, and I, I keep going back to my, my first record, but I guess it's my only other reference point, but <laughs> like my first album songs like Genesis and then working on the Silk City record with Mark Ronson and Diplo and doing One Kiss with Calvin, I really kind of found myself in those songs and it helped me quite easily decide what I wanted to do next but in my own way and try to figure out you know that next step and I feel like every every album might just kind of slowly leak into the other one almost you know it's something from this one will inspire the next but I think I'd need to get out and like perform them a little bit before I'm ready to just write again to get to know my songs beyond the studio because for me, you know, I, I've been listening to, to these songs for a really long time. And, like, of course I can pick out parts that are really important and special. And, and I have ideas as to where I want to go for the next record. But I think I need to live with them a little bit before I make my final decision. <laughs> so I don't know if we'll have new music by the time I tour, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how long this uh, this lasts, I guess. But uh, yeah. to go back to the title track for a minute, I, people have asked you about uh, the female alpha line. I know you ain't used to a female alpha, and you've kind of been like, oh, I'm not saying that that's me, but come on. <laughs> that's kind of Honestly, yours, honestly uh, well, it's, I, I definitely have grown in confidence for this record, but I also feel like when I put certain lyrics like that into my record, when I perform them, then I do feel more empowered and stronger. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, I am the female alpha. But it's also, you know, it, it's also that that recognition that we are, you know, built on like the backs of giants. And there have been strong, influential women since I was, you know, very little that I've had women and role models in, in the music industry to look up to that have made me feel like I can be the female alpha, if that makes sense. I guess maybe it's about solidarity and us being strong together and us all being the female alpha because we can. Well, it's also like sometimes people write something that they can then kind of try to live up to, you know, like writing the ideal of the dream and then by singing it enough, then you embody it. You know, I think that is something that happens, especially in music. Yeah. Uh, so maybe so maybe just singing it enough times makes you believe it. Makes you believe it. I, 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 yeah. it's, it's a form of manifestation, I feel. You're definitely putting that energy into, into yourself. So, yeah, I, I think so. When you think of the female alphas in, in pop or in general in the past, like who pops to mind? Who embodies that for you besides yourself? Um, Pink, Alicia Keys, Nelly Furtado, Madonna, Janet Jackson, you know. And, and you know, Janet Jackson wasn't somebody that I um, really listened to growing up, but it was through my friends. I, I more kind of started going back to some of her, her songs 
uh, after Glastonbury again, uh, when she performed, I, I went to go see see her. But there were lots of songs that I didn't know, but just listening to the lyrics, I was like, oh my God, like it's so empowering and strong and taking control of her sexuality and not being afraid. And I, I thought we've had strong women at the forefront for so long, but for some reason it somehow feels like feminism in music is like a a new thing or maybe it's more at the forefront of like media and like people are talking about it more than they did before I don't know but especially when you think about someone like Madonna or Janet Jackson everything is so like sexually charged and very empowering and um yeah it's uh I think it's important for us to kind of dig into to that history of music as well it's funny but people were kind of struck by good and bad and they're like oh my god it's so sexually explicit she's so comfortable with it but you're totally right if you just think of janet jackson or other things or madonna from 20 or more years ago they were doing the same thing you maybe took it farther in like one line yeah maybe i did (laughs) but it's just it is what it is you know and and i feel like we we should be free to kind of talk about things as as we wish i think for for women um We've always, and maybe it's just me wanting to like push the boundary a little bit further because for, you know, a woman's meant to be seen as someone like really polite and really quiet and we don't really talk about sex and it's all all that kind of stuff. But why is it that men don't get looked upon differently if they do, if they talk about their experience? And um, that's, that's what I wanted to kind of do with that song. It's also probably all the rap you've listened to probably feeds into that end because there's even more of a history of like total frankness, especially from dudes yeah. in, in hip hop. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think sometimes in rap music also it can be a little bit demeaning and degrading to women. Totally. Um, and maybe it makes me a bad feminist that I like listen to those songs, you know, <laughs> but it, it, you know. It just makes you human, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it is different, I guess, when women say it and speak about it. Like, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm just talking about the experience. I'm not like trying to put anyone down or anything. I'm just. Um, if anything, I'm saying it's great, but it's just not quite what I want. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, the the, the one line. It, was there anyone around you who, were, who was like, maybe you should pull back from the we don't know how to talk, but damn, we're not a fuck. I mean, was it was anyone was like that? That's like, no. That's, that's a bit too far, isn't it? Dark, that dark. is. That's very much me in the sense of that's uh, that's probably just just how I would talk with my mates occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally with my close friends. <laughs> now you grew up in at first in London. And your parents were were refugees, basically from Kosovo, mm-hmm. and not basically they were, and then you they moved back with you and then you wanted to move back to England to basically be a pop star. God, you make now, it sound so confusing. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it is that confusing. But I got it right, though, I think. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you did. But the confidence to be like, I need to go back to the place of my birth so I can become a pop star. And you did get, I believe, a record deal within like one year. So the confidence was well placed. And I know your parents had a, a band who had a fairly successful song. Mm-hmm. Did that play into it? Or where did that just like teenage confidence come from? No, I... I female alpha, uh, by the way. The female <laughs> alpha. Um, no, I, I guess before I moved to Kosovo and, uh, you know, being born and raised in London and, you know, I had lots of friends in London and I, I, I wanted to 
I always said that I wanted to do music, but I never really knew how I was going to kind of do it. And then my parents always had the intention of going back to Kosovo at some point. I feel like one thing that a lot of people forget when people leave their their country is, especially during war, it's it, it's not necessarily because they want to, you know, all the time. So their their whole goal was at some point to kind of go back to Kosovo, and you know their families were there, and and they just wanted to kind of carry on their life. And for me, it was exciting because I had lots of family members and it was like a new experience and I could speak the language because I spoke it at home. And so I was I was very excited about it. And I guess when I moved to Kosovo, I went to school there and I, I started making new friends, but I realized that I wasn't able to do music on a global scale how how I wanted or how I felt like I could do it in London or a place where everything was happening. And so I think around like 14 and a half, I was like kind of talking about it a little bit without my parents taking me too seriously. And then 15, it was kind of like, I want to go back and finish my GCSEs, which are like the exams you need to do to get you into A-levels, to get you into uni. And I was like, you know, if I want to one day study in London or whatever, then I have to go and finish my GCSEs. And I wanted to go back to to theatre school on Saturdays, which is what I had left before, but it was just kind of just singing lessons really and when I went back to London which my dad describes it as (laughs) me not taking no for an answer I just started I I went to school like normal school and um, started putting like covers up online on YouTube and I never had like a crazy viral effect but it did serve me as like a form of portfolio where I would you know, go out and meet people that were in the industry or I would meet, like, young artists with, like, bedroom setups where we would just, like, do little sessions. And I had basically have all these songs that I would write, but they were all of, like, lots of random genres and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, I, I just... I knew what I wanted. And I think when I moved to London, I just knew that I had to do everything myself. And I had to... If I wanted to have my dream come true then I would have to go out and get it myself and I think that's also where a lot of my confidence came from and yeah you were talking about Blondie and when I interviewed Debbie Harry recently she talked about having a strong image sometimes led to people underestimating her underestimating her talent because it was like if you like have that striking an image like how talented could you also be and that and kind of overcoming that is that has that ever been have people ever underestimated you um i think i think for um a, a lot of um <laughs> i i just feel like um a lot of people didn't think that maybe i had it in me to be able to maybe make a make a record like this one or um that I don't know I I feel like artists in pop especially women have to work a lot harder to be taken seriously I don't know about underestimated but I feel like you have to work a lot harder for people to really believe that these are your words that you have done it that these are your lyrics that you've sat in these sessions that you have worked that this is your vision because for so long I guess people have have thought of pop as manufactured and so in that aspect, I feel like I've had to work really hard to kind of prove myself, whether that was either in, in the studio, like while I was writing my first record, you know, I felt like I would have to go into sessions and really prove myself to the people around me that I can write and I deserve to have a place in the studio and like assert myself and know what I want to say. And 
I guess for the beginning part, you know, being so young and nervous, like I felt like I would go into rooms and people would come out with certain ideas and I would think that they were better than mine because they'd been doing the long for longer than I had. But I then soon realized that if I wasn't there to go in and assert myself and, you know, talk about things that I was really passionate about, then I wasn't going to get to where I wanted to be. And so this time around on the record, like I was a lot more confident. I like worked with people that I didn't feel like I need to prove myself around people that I was able to be vulnerable in front of. And, and it kind of shifted that dynamic. But I felt like for so, so long, I felt like I really had to fight for my place in the studio and in, in, in the industry and um, either even, you know, in front of the fans and everyone to get them to really understand and see that this is I, I live and I breathe this shit. This is my whole life. Right. And, you know, every thing I put out there comes from me, you know, from the songs to the performances, everything kind of stems to, uh, from, from, you know, an idea that I had. And, and, and that's not to take away from, you know, I ha- it does take an army and I have an incredible team that really helped me bring all these ideas to life. But I, I think, you know, in that sense, maybe I, I have been underestimated a little bit. Mm. that people maybe don't believe it it's kind of one of those I'll believe it when I see it type things so yeah totally Uh, so what have you thought about concerts after all this and like what it will take for you to feel comfortable to face a big crowd all packed together for you to feel like you're safe and to feel like they're safe what point do we have to reach as a society I know it's a really hard question but I've been asking a lot of artists about this though yeah But just for you personally. It's difficult to say, you know, where where the future of, um, you know, live performances will stand at this point right now because I guess for one, we don't really know how long this will last. Hopefully at some point we can find some sort of, you know, cure or some kind of vaccination for those that are, you know, maybe less able to to get over the, the virus, you know people that with underlying health issues or the elderly I I, I don't know I, I guess I that really is my answer that for me it's staying at home doing our part and trying to make it so that the hospitals are able to manage the virus as and when if it comes if it fluctuates or what happens to the point that we can result back to normal life but I don't know really it's it's a really difficult question. I, I would love to, to, to get back on the road as soon as possible, um, to as many places as possible, but obviously for me, the most important thing is the health and safety of everyone around. So quite honestly, very hard question. I don't have an answer to no, that. Oh, sorry, it is, it is such a hard question. Like <sighs> like the smartest doctors in the world have trouble with this question right now, so it's a, it's a, it's a tough yeah. one. I did want to ask about Boys Will Be Boys, because it obviously really stands out on the album. Mm. And it's the kind of thing that that might not have been on a pop album eight years ago. You know, I think things have changed where it really it, it, it feels like it really belongs, and it's and it it feels so real. I, you know, there's a bunch of things. I mean, the the, the keys between the knuckles and smiling away to ease the tension, so it, so it doesn't go south. I mean that 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 feels very much from lived experience. Yeah, it is. It is all very much from from lived experience. I was in the studio with um, Justin Trancher and Kennedy and Jason Evergan and me and Kennedy were really just kind of talking about what it's like to be a woman and we were just kind of got and then we were like okay we should write this in a song because if us two felt like we could really relate to this then you know we felt like a lot more 
people would feel the same. And, you know, walking down with keys through my knuckles, Wolverine style is very much a, a, a real thing. Like I, I would have to walk three, three minutes, if, if that, from the bus stop to my flat in London when I first moved back. And in like the wintertime, it would get dark really early. So by the time I'd get back from school, it'd be really dark. And it was just kind of like, nothing ever happened, but it was like a safety precaution or I'd pretend to be on the phone or uh, you, you kind of adapt to other people's ways of thinking or, you know, smile away to ease the tension so it doesn't go south. It's just, again, it, it's um, avoiding sexual harassment by like slowly being like, ha ha ha, yeah, very nice. And then you try and move on, which, you know, in, in some instances, you know, people would say, oh, well, you just have to stand up for yourself. But also that could also be dangerous for a woman to just put themselves in that situation. So it's just talking about all the different ways of things that we have had to deal with. And it's not like a, a pointing fingers thing, but it, I, I would want it just to be like a conversation starter, people to ask questions. For me, it's about my younger audience and my younger generation, you know, the, the, the younger generation listening to, to that song and maybe posing questions and asking why. And why do girls have to go home earlier than boys? And why can't we stay out till later? And why do we have to, you know... I, I guess those things made us grow up a lot quicker and that's, you know what i wanted to portray with that song yeah and it's stuff men don't think about enough even if they aren't the perpetrators they're not thinking about enough so it's you know it's powerful to put in there i wanted to ask on a letter note about new rules and to the extent to which you're now sort of haunted by that song or sick of it or because it, it it gave you something to top and something to challenge you and something to move away from but how do you kind of feel about that song at this point in your career honestly i'm so grateful for that song because it really did change my life you know um, it gave me the opportunity to be able to feel like I could, you know, mature and, and change a little bit. Like it gave me the, the kind of confidence I felt like I needed to be able to take a leap in my career that, you know, was out of my comfort zone. But I, I, I almost felt like I, I could try something different. And for me, when I when I put songs out, I don't know, I, I kind of detach myself from them. Like, they're mine, and I look, look at them, like, every second and listen to them and make sure the video is great and the mix and everything that's happening. But the second it's out into the world, I'll probably never listen to it again. Like, unless it randomly comes on the radio or, obviously, when I'm getting ready for tour. But other than that, I wouldn't... Like, I just don't listen to, to the songs. I just feel like they belong to my fans and the listeners. And, you know, they can... It, it, it's... When I perform it as well, you know, people go, oh, you know, are you bored of singing the same song over and over again? Like, I, I'm not because I guess to someone it, it also means something else. And I feel like it's not really about me in that instance. So I'm, I'm very grateful for everything that that song has, has given me. Totally. And finally, in this entire surreal experience of, as we discussed, promoting your big album while sitting against your brick wall at home or wherever you go, what has been kind of the most surreal moment or the most surreal moments of all of this for you? Um, my God. I mean, I guess doing all these like TV performances from home, setting up a green screen on this very wall and, and, and performing on Fallon and trying to make it seem like I'm, I'm there and, and, you know, trying to get creative from home, like that, that's all been quite surreal and never something that I thought I would have to do in a way. It's been, it's been very yeah. interesting to be creative from my sofa and try and come up with different 
ideas and and you know try and make things work from from home because you I guess you have quite limited space and resources and what you can do so that's been interesting for sure but on the plus side I've become quite a quite quite the tech whiz I'm very good at all the <laughs> all the things got a little mic so I'm ready for, for anything. And on the plus side, this must be the most well-rested promo tour ever. Uh, yeah. You get to sleep in I've, your own bed. Yes, yeah. I've been able to sleep in my own bed. I've actually been able to sleep in as well. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, God, I, I, I just don't, it, it's still, even when I talk about it, it feels crazy, you know, the time that we're living in and, and what's really happening. Yeah. I wonder if we'll ever go back to normal again. <laughs> I sure hope so. Yeah. Thanks so much. Stay safe. Congrats on everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, Brian. I appreciate it. And that was today's show. Thanks so much to Dua Lipa for stopping by virtually. And we'll be back next week on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. And we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. And as I keep saying, please stay safe out there. Really appreciate you listening. And we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.